Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And a few of our favorite ordinary winter things are flannel sheets, candles in the kitchen, and coming in out of the cold. And a few of mine are ice skating on the neighborhood pond, long walks after a snowfall, and warming back up again with a homemade tea latte. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, you know how there are dreams that sort of have um, follow certain storylines that lots of people have? <laughs> so, uh, like, you know, dreams like I'm falling or dreams that I'm back in school and I'm yeah. not prepared for the test. Yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you ever heard of the dream? I know a lot of people have it. This is another one. A dream where you have somehow discovered a new or hidden room in your house. <laughs> no. Like you're in your house. Yes. It's So it's this one of these dreams. And I have it. I have it frequently. You're, really? you're in your familiar space, your home, yeah. or maybe your childhood home, as is sometimes <laughs> the case in dreams. But now you've either discovered, like you've opened a door, or you've broken through a wall, or you've gone down some other Never, hallway, and you realize not there's one this time whole. In my whole life, have I had this That's dream? That's funny. So I have this dream every so often, so and I've read about it enough to know, like other other people have this dream. So it must be something that our yeah. brains do. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I have this dream. Like, I'm, I'll wake up and realize, oh, that was my house. But whoa, that was not my house. We had this whole other space. So I, anyhow, so I had something like that dream this weekend. <laughs> the real life version. Um, okay, so it's February. It's still so wintry outside. I'm so this is not a dream right now. now. This is real, no, what you're no, telling us. Um, it's so snowy right now. And so it's the time when, in while it's still winter, I start seeds for for the garden, for the spring garden. Um, and so it's time to do that. But we recently reorganized our basement and there is now no room down there for me to set up the tables and the um, shop lights that I use to grow my seedlings um, in the basement in years past. And I don't have a greenhouse or anything like that. So I was talking to John about it, like, I need to start these seeds. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden it occurred to me, we have this root cellar down there. So I don't know if I've ever shown you, probably I haven't, but it's deeper than the basement. So you have the dirt floor basement down there. Um, but because the house is built in 1880, deeper than the basement, if there's a door in the corner and if you go down some steps, there's a root cellar that is dug out even deeper than the basement. So it's a very deep little room. And it was used, um, when this was an old farmhouse, originally it was used for food storage. So it would have had um, like a wooden floor kind of raised up above the dirt so that there was airflow and they could store their apples and pumpkins and carrots and things like that, like right? A because little in like, a like a cool area of the house mm -hmm. to refrigerate yeah, or keep things so, preserved. Yeah, because it's so deep and the walls are stone and the floor is earth. It's naturally, the temperature is naturally um, sort of modulated, yeah. so it doesn't get hot in the summer. It stays really cool. It doesn't get that cold in the winter, so it just tends to kind of maintain its temperature, 
And I think also it's humid because of the the dirt and the stone and being so deep and that humidity. I think it's like a it's like our refrigerator crisper drawer, maybe. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so the humidity and, and so this is where they would have stored things. Well, we have never it's like a scary dark hole in our basement. We've <laughs> never done anything with it. John and I would talk about it sometimes and we'd say, Oh, if you know, maybe someday we'll turn it into like a wine cellar, which is kind of hilarious because as if we're ever gonna buy enough wine to fill up a little room. (laughs) But it's the kind of space like you could imagine being something like that. You know, Um, when we first moved here and I did a lot of vegetable gardening, I really wanted it to get set up again as a root cellar because I thought, oh, I could store stuff down there. Um, But instead, we've hardly gone down there. There there weren't any electric lights. The wooden floor that would have been there isn't there anymore, which means when you get to the bottom of the step, you have to you have to carefully sort of jump down. Because it's too, it's, you know, the step doesn't, isn't where it would be if that was the floor, if that makes sense. (laughs) Anyhow, so we've, and it's scary and it's dark. Oh my goodness. So we just avoid it. The most I have used it is that um, I used to grow cucumbers and make my own pickles, like ferment my own pickles. And to do that, you have to have them in jars, like in a cool, dark place. So I would open the door to the root cellar and then um, just like set them on the (laughs) top step. I wouldn't even go down. <laughs> but this weekend, because I wanted to start the seeds, I said to Jonathan, what if, would it be possible to to clean out the root cellar and set things up down there? And um, he said, yeah, I think so. And bless my husband, the next thing I knew this weekend, he was down there with like a, a mask, a dust mask, which we're so used to seeing now, right? For other right. reasons. But there he was with his mask and he had the shop vac. And he was down in this dark hole. He'd like run an extension cord and like plugged in this light. And so he had light down there and he was cleaning up this space. Lisa Joe, so much dirt. But let me ask you this. I feel like he's just suctioning the dirt out of yeah. the land. Is there, because you, is there even a floor or is it just dirt yeah. that he's vacuuming up? Out of your, I don't know what the, part of the it, house. It is a bit foundation. like that, I think. But there's so much sort of loose dirt that it just wasn't even usable until you at least cleaned up some of the piles of Ugh. dirt and dust. But actually, the, it's so old. I have always thought of the floor as dirt. I've always said it's dirt floor down there, just like some other parts of our basement. But when I got down there, I realized I can't actually tell because it's so old and so hard packed that I don't know if it's stone or at some point, maybe concrete was laid and now it's just got a lot of dirt on it or it's dirt, but it's so hard packed from all the years of things sitting on it and people standing on it. I actually don't know. So it is. it was a bit like that. It was like he was stirring up so much dust as he was trying to <laughs> it's clean funny. up the It dust. makes me think of a line from one of my favorite Elizabeth Peters books where she writes the Amelia Peabody series. Mm-hmm. And they are archaeologists and spend a lot of time in Egypt and are always sweeping their house because mm. obviously they're surrounded by desert. But one of the their sort of foremen who always jokes with her always says to her, so how far do you want us to sweep the desert back today? Because <laughs> he felt it was like so pointless that all they're doing is sweeping a desert. So I kind of had that picture like John yes. is just like sweeping the dirt that will never be gone. <laughs> I would say that is exactly the right visual for what was happening. And in fact, I went down there to check on him at one point 
And um, and as our listeners know, I've also been recovering from the virus. My lungs have not been in great shape, and they were not doing well this weekend. And so I just peeked down. I was feeling like I asked him to do this, and I felt like I couldn't just leave him down there to do yes, it. Like I, I know need to that do it feeling. Least. Like you have to be yeah. solidarity. Like I'm in yeah, this with exactly, you. Exactly. So I peeked down at one point, and I realized, oh my goodness, I can't breathe at all. It would be so bad for me to be down there. But then I did go at one point and get a mask so I could go down in my mask and say, hey, doing okay? (laughs) But the dust was like, like I couldn't even see him hardly. He kicked up so much dust with the shop vac and the broom and so on that that the room was just full of dust. Um, But later that dust actually really did settle back down. So it is, it is a bit like sweeping out the desert. desert. (laughs) How far back do you want to go? But we did it. You know, once the, once the dust had settled down, um, wearing my mask, um, I went down there a little bit with him and we set up tables and some seeds that I had started that morning, we were able to plug in my heat mats and set them out on tables. And then because it's the root cellar, the the ceiling, it's not a huge room, but it's very deep. So the ceiling is still the same height as the ceiling in the main basement. So that means when you're down there, the ceiling is so high above your head. Hmm. So Jonathan had to get on his tallest ladder and hang chain, like hook some chains into the beams up there to hang these long chains down so we could hang the, the, shop lights that are like the grow lights for Mm. the plants. Um, So we did that. We hung these lights, set out the seeds. And um, yeah, I felt like, oh my gosh, in this dark, dusty space that I didn't even have access to before, now my garden is beginning to grow and I'm making myself, it's not a, it's a place you don't just walk by. You you don't accidentally go to the root cellar. (laughs) Unless you fall through something. Unless you fall through the (laughs) parlor floor. Oh my goodness, which is totally possible. Um, But I've told myself, Christy, you have to make yourself walk down there at least once a day. Otherwise your seeds will dry out or things will sprout and you won't realize it. And you have to make yourself go check on everything once a day. So once a day, I'm determined that I will go down there. But it feels a lot like that dream. There is this whole room in my house that before was a dark cave of dust, (laughs) scary, (laughs) never go down there. And in a kind of epiphany this weekend, I thought, oh, maybe we can use that space, not for a wine cellar, (laughs) but for um, a seed starting space. And we did it. And I tell you, it didn't actually take that long. And um, by the afternoon, by Saturday afternoon, John and I were just sitting at the table, just looking at each other like, wow, we feel so productive. We feel like we have not, that was like a big check off some sort of cosmic to-do list, you know, like we have not felt so productive in maybe a year. (laughs) I mean, this is what we were talking about in our last episode. If you haven't listened, go back. (laughs) Exactly what we were talking about. It was so, so satisfying. It felt like one of those, like sometimes you get an easy win and this felt like an easy win. And I thought of that disappointment I often feel when I have that dream and then I wake up and realize, oh no, I'm still living in my same old house without some extra room. But it was like, this was like the dreams, like, oh, the dream is real. We have an extra room. It's kind of a scary room. It's pretty dirty. <laughs> like I want to know, put it to good use. Have you forbade your children from going down there? Are you like, don't go down there because you could get stuck or hurt or yeah, do they have no we interest have in going down? We have never even had to talk about it because it is so unappealing. Mm-hmm. It's so unappealing. No one has even shown the slightest interest ever in going near it. 
Um, and even yesterday, even this weekend when we were working on it, I think a couple of the kids came to sort of peer around the door to say, what are you doing? And, um, and I said to them, oh, you can come down and look. And I don't think anyone did. I think they just looked and were like, nah, we're good. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> I think if Micah was there, he would have come and wanted to work oh, in the would. dirt with John. He would John. be hanging lights with us and running the shop back. Yeah. I, need, I need a Micah. <laughs> All that dust. Yeah. And so, Lisa Joe, I think, you know, I'm thinking of the story, not just because I just lived it, but because today is Ash Wednesday. Mm. Today is a day traditionally uh, for many Christians, um, those who each year follow a season of Lent. Today's the beginning of Lent, and it is that day traditionally when uh, we remember that we are dust, and to dust we will return. And symbolically, you know, we experience that with the the smudge on our forehead, that cross made of the dust from burning last year's um, Palm Sunday palm fronds. So it it felt appropriate to tell my dust story, story today. And also, I think it feels appropriate to me because it's not just a story of dust, but it's very much an experience of like leaning into that, that border line, that mm-hmm. boundary between winter and spring, which I'll be honest, is a very painful place for me. February, March are so hard for me. And I like winter, but by the end of winter, the longing for spring can be so intense, that longing to be outdoors again. And I feel it even more this year, I think because we've had this year of quarantine and pandemic, we've been locked down, we've been isolated. I think whether you garden or not, whether you live in a place with winter or not, I bet most of us, many of us are feeling that just incredible longing to be released into a new room, a new space, a new season, new freedom, life, sunlight, you know, the return of sun. I'm just feeling that um, so deeply this year. And how interesting (laughs) that the journey to spring, the journey to Easter, the journey to my next garden, you know, however you conceive of it, takes me through this incredibly dirty, dusty, deep, dark place. Um, I feel that that's as it should be, that that's right, but it's not easy. It is not an easy thing to grapple with. Lisa Joe, I would much prefer to have a glass-paned greenhouse out in my yard, <laughs> yes. heated. I could go out and the sun would come through the glass and like warm me and warm my little plants. Um, instead, I have like a dingy cave of dust and <laughs> that's where new life will grow. And I'm laughing and crying because it's like speaks to, I think, a much bigger reality as well. It's not just yeah. about the garden. I think this year, Ash Wednesday, for everybody who remembers it probably has a different, more difficult meaning than mm. we've had in years mm-hmm. past, just since yeah. so many people have lost people this year um, and have lost them in really hard ways in this sort of a double loss of the person, but then also the opportunity to be near to that person before you lose them is its own Mm -hmm. loss. And it's incredibly painful. And when you told me that you wanted to share this story about dust, I started thinking about, do I have something to talk about to do with dust? And you know, for me to really access the idea of dust, I I have to travel back away mm. from here on the East Coast where there's lots of trees and there's grass and it's hard to access the 
dust, right? Like it you is. can have dirt if you dig holes or you plant a yeah. garden, but just out and about, you're not really no. experiencing dust the way you would in Africa. So true. And so yeah. I have to travel back to South Africa in my mind because there we experience dust the way in America, I think you experience like the expanse of green spaces. So, mm-hmm. for example, one of my good friends visited me when I was a student at Notre Dame, and she's from South Africa, and she could not stop talking about, I mean, years later, she would bring it up. She wrote it in cards to me. I hope you're enjoying the fact that the campus is all grassed, right? Like, there's just beautiful, like, beds of grass. And then the pathways between the buildings across these oceans of grass are paved. There are these beautiful pathways. And what she couldn't get over is that everybody only walked on the pathways, <laughs> not on the grass. And she just kept saying, how do they make them do that? Are there rules? Like, do you get in trouble if you work, walk on the grass? <laughs> she just, her brain could not process it because in South Africa, we too have you know universities with beautiful grass, but everybody just walks across the grass, picnics on the <laughs> grass, rides their bikes on the grass. Like So the grass always has these big bald patches in it. And I explained to her, yes, that's how you avoid them. Like you walk on the paths here in America. <laughs> <laughs> but there's always been something in that South African mindset. We're really bad at waiting in lines for things. Like there's not like this polite line. Everybody just mashes to the front and hopes whoever gets there first will get in. Like I couldn't get over lines in the States. My father was constantly like, he wouldn't even see the line of people. Like we were at one of the museums in Chicago one time. And not only are there lines there, it's like an amusement park, you know, they have the railings. So there's like seven lines that everybody's waiting in. And my father just walked past all of them to the front, to the (laughs) cashier counter. My dad, my husband was like, someone is going to kill us. Like we are going to be in so much trouble. And he, my father had not even noticed that there was a line because there's all the space in front of the counter, you know, he's like, nobody's here. Anyway, I say all those things to say dust is part of the language of Africa. Yeah. And I'm, it's not just, I was trying to think about American dust, like what it, what's the texture of it? What's the color of it? And maybe if I was from Texas, like you, I, I would have say, yeah, a better vocabulary. Texas, but my experience Texas. of America has been yeah. here on the East Coast. Yeah. yeah. And in South Africa, dust is red, like it's mm. gritty. It has a smell. Mm. I think of like a smell of burning in the winter time. It gets up your nose. Like I mm. know that feeling at the end of a day of blowing your nose and there's like grit coming out yeah, of it. Wow. It's such a real thing. And as a child, we spent every vacation of my childhood on a farm that my dad grew up on. So dust there, of course, is very real. Farmland in South Africa, I'm guessing, is a lot like Texas in that mm. it's not, um, you know, wheat fields or cornfields as far as the eye can see. It's very scrubby. So the, yeah. and you've got these like hardy survival sheep that yeah. are eating these tiny little specks of bush, you know, but in between <laughs> there's like an ocean of red dirt, basically. I don't know how these sheep survive. So dust is meant, it's just everywhere, like in your nose, down your shirt, like sweating through your clothes. It's just on everything and it blows into the house. It's just a big part of the language I feel like I spoke growing up. Mm -hmm. And on this farm, it's funny you talk about your root cellar because we also had this, and I'm trying to remember, 
I don't remember the the word for it. There's an Afrikaans word they called it, but I think essentially in English it's um, the cold room is what they called oh, it. Oh, okay. And yeah. like you, right? So like a root cellar, but it was outside mm-hmm. the main house and it mm-hmm, was set mm-hmm. sort of right near where the, the reservoir was for water for the house. Oh. There was this, it kind of looked like like an outdoor toilet kind of, you know, like a, yes. it's like a frame and tiny little yeah. door space, but it was built into the side of this hillside a little bit. Right. And it had mm-hmm. ivy all over it and you would open it. You could feel the change in temperature, but it was from the soil around it mm-hmm. and you would mm-hmm. go deep into it and it's where they would hang meat or butter or milk from the dairy in the morning would be left there. And it was this very cold, dank, damp space where you would cool things. So when you described your root cellar, I thought to myself, oh, that's very similar. These old houses didn't have refrigeration at the time. That's where you stored things. So I have that picture in my mind of coolness and storage. But when I think about dust, though, I actually walk out of that room, away from the farmhouse, up into the camps where the sheep would be. And there's this big camp there. And I know in America, there's this really popular TV show called uh, Meerkat Manor. Have you ever watched that? It's like on the Discovery oh, or National Geographic. It. And it's uh-huh. about all these meerkats. And you <laughs> see them in their little hollows, their heads pop out. And in South Africa, we have a ton of them, meerkats and mongooses. And anyway, there's this camp up at the top that's just pretty overpopulated with a meerkat population. It's like its own little meerkat manor. And so they actually call that meerkat Flukta, which means plains, like this area where all these meerkat are. But it has also one small part of it has been claimed as a burial plot for my father's family. So my grandfather is buried there. My grandmother is buried there. And in like real African tradition, there's this huge rock that they moved to place Mm -hmm. over each of those graves. So there's not really, there are headstones, but really it's about this giant rock placed there at the foot of a mountain surrounded by a plain where little meerkats Mm -hmm. run hither and fro. Well, when my mom passed away the week after I turned 18, I remember us driving from Pretoria the nine hours to the farm and towing behind us a trailer that had her coffin. And she was buried there at Meerkat Flukta next to my grandfather and grandmother. And years later, when I had met Peter and he came home to South Africa because I said, I cannot marry you until you've come back to my land and met my people, he and I drove to the farm together. And at the time, our family didn't, we don't own that farm anymore, but we own the rights to bury our people in that Mm. burial plot. So we're allowed to visit. And I remember arriving with him. It was a beautiful day, but it was June or July, which is winter in South Africa. So it's a very cold, crisp, but very clear air, bright, sort of hard blue sky. And we pulled up, we drove our car as far as we could into Mirkat camp, and we parked at a fence you know, ducked under the fence and walked up to where the grave sites are. And it's midwinter, so even the scrubby scrub that's usually there is <laughs> even more bare than normal. And you have this red dirt at my mother's grave. And they've planted around the graves um, like aloes and cacti, things like that. And I remember this moment, and I must have been 22, I think, and I was there with Pete. 
this man I, I really thought I was going to marry. And I, I think I was, in essence, bringing him to meet my mom, you know, the closest mm, yeah. I could do to that. And I remember kneeling down next to her grave, and there's all this red dirt. And it's interesting because as human beings, we practice being civilized creatures, right? Like we know how we should be on the outside. But I think there's a part of us that the spirit part that rebels against the idea of death that just wants to wail and scream and cry and reject it. And I remember kneeling with Peter, but what I wanted to do was lie down in the dirt. Like I wanted to to nestle my face into the dust so that it covered me. So I had it on me. I I felt like I wanted to embrace that dirt. I want to lie down and like do a breaststroke in the dirt. And it was this incredibly primal, overwhelming urge to lie down in the dust. And I didn't because there I have like my new boyfriend with me. And I was so shocked that I had this feeling that I just wanted to like bathe in the dirt. And I share that image to say, I think when you were talking about dust and Ash Wednesday, I, for the very first time, made a connection between that Mm. moment and the small picture we do in churches where we put the dirt, the dust, the ash on our foreheads that represents the death of Christ and the death of us, of our old selves, to be united with Him. And I think it represents that, like that urge in us that says, this is so terrible, like death is so terrible. It's not what God intended. And and there's this sense of like wanting to dig ourselves into it in order to dig ourselves out of it. I don't mm-hmm. even know if that yeah. makes sense, but it's almost mm-hmm. like if I can get into this dirt and become one with it, somehow I can resurrect it. I can bring something out of it. And and I'll, I'll be thinking about that this Wednesday in a very different way when I think about that red dirt of Africa and the black ash that will be put on my forehead um, mm-hmm. if our church holds an in-person service on Wednesday. Right. I think the root cellar is actually quite helpful because um, without that idea of the root cellar, you think, well, how can you, you can't go through the dust. <laughs> you can't, you know, it's just there to coat you. It's just there to see. But with a root cellar, you can open the door and you can literally like enter into the dust and be surrounded by it. And how interesting that that would be a space that is and has been for people for centuries, life-giving and sustaining. Mm. And there's a paradox there. And you know me, Lisa Joe, we love both of us, the, the poetic paradoxes, but it's because... It's because this is a paradox that mm. death is so terrible, and yet it's also has been transformed through Christ's death into a doorway, and a doorway that we don't just have to go through, but we we get to go through. We get to walk the same path that He walked and be transformed on the other side. And so, just remembering that unlike our root cellars that have these closed off walls, you go in and the only way out is like back out through the same door, right? Mm. But that, um, that that's not what we're talking about with Easter, that we actually can journey through it. And we do that symbolically every year, and we'll do that again this year um, as we journey toward Easter. But actually, we are all on that journey, mm. and um, we're closer every day, we're closer every year, and we're closer not just to that doorway of death, but we're closer to what lies on the other side. So that is something to, I think, encourage us along the way. Um, but we're not there yet, and it's dusty, and it's hard, 
And we might have to wear a mask in order to breathe. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm even feeling it now, Lisa Joe. Like, I, after we record this, I tend to go and do my breathing treatment. And I think I can feel it in my chest now. I'm going to go do that after we, we get off. So this is not the end of the story in any way. Ash Wednesday's not the end. Me and my poor sad lungs, not the end, right? There is something beyond, and we're anticipating that, and we're leaning into that. But it um, can be tearful and dusty and pretty hard along the way. Yeah, death is not the end. It's a doorway. And because of Christ, it's not a dead end. He opened that door and invites us through into more. There's a more. And I think it's scary sometimes to think about that. What is it? What does it look like? I don't know. Like, we don't know the shape of it. We don't understand it. But we do know that it's an invitation from a God who loved us enough to come and become dust so that we don't have to eternally end I'm grateful to remember that today. So when I visit Maplehurst again, I will come down to your dusty root cellar (laughs) and experience it for myself. And Lisa Joe, it might be full of plants then. It might be full of tables of green growing things and baby tomatoes that already smell like tomatoes um, because seeds are already growing down there. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.